G'day, Mike Hussey here, but you can call me Mr. Supercoach. KFC Supercoach BBL is back and there's 25 grand up for grabs. So what are you waiting for? Play today at supercoach.com.au. T's and C's apply. New South Wales authorisation number TP slash 01005. Thorpe is coming in. Gold and a world record. Ian Thorpe, the birth of a legend. 458 is the total, out of which Bradman has made 309 not out. It's a world's record. Ball in Test cricket in England for Shane Warne, and he's done it. He started off with the most beautiful delivery. Australia is back on the biggest stage. Welcome to this is your sporting life for Tobin Brothers Funerals, celebrating lives. Here's your host, Sam Edmund. everybody and welcome to the show. As always, we're here for our friends at Tobin Brothers Funerals Celebrating Lives. Well, today we're speaking to a man who put his head right into the lion's mouth when it comes to footy mortality and a man who lived to tell the tale. So serious were his internal injuries in 2006 that Tom Lottingen was close to death. That he not only survived but fought back to play 209 AFL games and win a premiership for the Cats is testament to the character and will of the one-time country kid from Yarrawonga. From battling forward to star defender and everything in between, it's a great pleasure to have him on the show. G'day, Tom. Thanks for joining us. Uh, G'day, Sam. Good to be with you, mate. Where do we uh, find you as we speak at the moment? Um, I'm in Geelong. I haven't left Geelong since I finished football and... um, been, uh, it's been good, actually. Geelong's class is regional, so not quite the lockdown that um, Melbourne Metro is, is copying at the moment. Um, so it's been nice. But, uh, yeah, obviously, it's been a harrowing time for everyone. And, um, yeah, thoughts go out to everyone. Yeah, indeed. And I think you'd sign up to do some work for Calder Cannons. Obviously, you're like so many that uh, you've been thrown into a period of uh, uncertainty there, but you'd attempted to go back to your roots. But now I think, you're, are you on the tools at the moment? You're doing some work as a tradie. <laughs> You've done your research. I, I have been during. We we were shut down. Um, I think it was the week before the NAB League was due to start. It was a Monday, um, yeah, leading to the first rounds, and we got the call saying tools down. Um, you're on stand down to to we know otherwise, and um, and basically that was late March, and we've been on stand down ever since, and subsequently a big restructure of the business and. Um, there's been, yeah, obviously quite a quite a amount of job losses that have taken place, which is really unfortunate. But um, in that meantime, the six months there, there has been uh, some, obviously some building activity still happening, and I've been lucky enough to uh, to get on board with a local builder, Hayden Gross, down here, who's uh, who's he's good mates with Matty Scarlett actually, and um, he's taken me on board and yeah, getting out and doing a bit, it's, um, much to the delight and. And um, uh, amusement of my brothers, two tradie brothers who never thought uh, I had a an ounce of a, a trade in me. Um, but uh, it's been good. I've, I've been quite enjoyed get the, uh, getting the hands dirty. Just on, uh, I guess, the family. You grew up in a marvellous part of the world on the banks of the Murray River there in Yarrawonga. And I imagine it was footy in the winter, playing on the river or the lake in the summer. They must be pretty vivid memories for you, I'd imagine. Yeah, you summed it up really well, 
Sam. It's um, they were they were excellent memories and uh, very carefree time growing up in Yarrawonga. I was one of four kids, the youngest of, of four kids, with two brothers and a sister. Um, and as you said, very carefree and, and life basically consisted of, of swimming and, and skiing in the lake uh, during the summer, playing a bit of cricket as well, and, and football, the, my beloved pigeons during the winter, um, which was it was great. Very simplistic lifestyle, um, but one I really got fond memories of and um, probably, you know, uh, it goes a long way to who I am today. I'm a very sort of carefree, nonchalant type of person and uh, just enjoyed the simple things in life and and that was, uh, yeah, those things, as I said, having a ski and swim in the, in the lake over summer and, and footy in winter. Oh, a great sense of community in that part of the world as well. And your older siblings, Terry, Kate and Mark, your mum's Trish. And your dad, I'm keen to ask you, was he Bernie or was he Stumpy? Because that's, that's what everyone calls him out there, good old Stump. Yeah. <laughs> no, he's, he's uh, well Stump around uh, around the local district in, in Yarrawong and, and beyond, uh, obviously. He, he played a lot of... I've never got to the bottom of why his name Stump. I've heard mixed... <laughs> Stories. Um, he was fond of a bag. Like, he was uh, fond of a bag, though, wasn't he? Full yeah, forward. Yeah, he, he was. Yeah, he um, he kicked a couple of tons playing for, for different local teams up there, and yeah, uh, very good kick, nice set shot on goal. He tells me, but um, <laughs> he's uh, he played in a couple of premierships with Academy Tide, and and uh, yeah, two brothers and a sister, which we had uh, had great. But great fun. We pl- had a back paddock out the back of our house and, and played a lot of you know games of cricket and football, obviously, and it was all very competitive. So uh, very, very good times. Yeah, and your older brothers, uh, Terry and Mark, played. Is it, am I right in saying that when they went off to, to play club football, obviously, you, as a youngster, you jump on the team bus as well and sit up the front as they, something of a mascot, I hear, as you ventured into enemy territory, you know, Wangaratta, Albury, Myrtleford? Yeah. Yeah, that was that was right. I, I just loved being a part of it. I, I really did. It was. Um, I remember um, Dad used to sometimes drive the bus, or a lot of the times drive the bus. Terry, my eldest brother, he was seven years older than me, so you know when he's um, when he's he's just gone eighteen. I'm only eleven or ten or eleven, and uh, and jumped on the the bus and and just loved being a part of it. Loved being a part of it. The footy team. Would, all the boys would, would drive up to, yeah, as you said, Wangaratta, uh, Albury, Wodongal, Mildford, and, and I'd usually run, me and my brother, Mark, would usually run the boundary for the thirds, and we'd get our um, can of Coke and pie after the game, and mo- most, more often than not, we'd do the reserves game as well, so we'd get two cans of Cokes and uh, and two pies, and that, uh, that was enough for us. We loved it, and um, yeah, very, very fun time. Um, very good friends with with a lot of my eldest brothers, Terry's mates, because of that. And um, they didn't win many games, the Yarrawonga thirds back then. Always short, and uh, but it was good memories. I, uh, I love being a part of it. Fantastic. And you played under eights, you played under tens. I think you won the under-14s best and fairest for Yarrawonga. But I think it was shortly after turning 15, wasn't it? You had a, a big growth spurt in between 15 and turning 16. Yeah, yeah that's, that's basically right. Uh, I mean, early days, I, I just dad was, you know, he was pivotal in in my football career, and and he took us down to junior footy, and um, yeah, I enjoyed enjoyed it, but it was probably during that 15, 16 when I did start to really grow, and um, 
you know, I, I looked at the different representative squads in the district that I, I wanted to get into, and uh, and that really helped me. I think I went from kind of a sort of middle, sort of uh, very mid-sized sort of player into a, probably a key position player, very skinny, albeit, but um, it's uh, yeah, a big growth spurt, and, and that certainly helped me along. Twenty centimeters in twelve months, I think I read. It was it was something like that. Yeah. It was, yeah. It uh, it happened very very quickly, and um, and I never thought I was as good enough to play. I could run a little bit, um, but then when I grew so quickly, um, and uh, yeah, I was playing full forward at the time, and I started taking a few marks, and I guess the realization of you know doing something more with my football rather than just playing local football was started to I started to have thoughts about and um yeah I guess as the years progressed it's it, um we've got to be closer to what may be yeah so as you say you became a key forward you played a few games for the Bushies the Murray Bush Rangers and you, you made your senior debut for the Pigeons against the Wodonga Raiders, Raiders at, at what 16 years of age I think you were and um what do you remember of that game <laughs> yeah I was just turned 16 and um I remember that I'd been in and out of the Bushies team and hadn't really consolidated my spot. And But I, I was really desperate to play for Yarra. I, I actually wanted to play senior football with Yarra longer more than I probably did with the Bushies. And, and that probably comes down to just growing up at the footy club. And as I said before, you know, going on the birds bus up to those places and, and just being a it was part of my DNA, the, the footy club, and and when I got the opportunity, and the name was read out on the Thursday night, I was I was super excited, um, and it got a lot of messages from everyone around the place, and couldn't wait to. Some of my my childhood idols were playing in in that team, you know, Tim Hargrave, Gerald Sutherland, and John Brunner. These these are uh, you know one of the legends, and um, I was playing alongside them, and I lined up at uh, full forward and. Um, happened the ball come out of the centre first, I think it was literally in the first couple of minutes of the game and, and come in my direction. And I remember all my mates were, were I had about 15 or so mates were behind the, the fence up my end of, of the ga- of the ground. And I managed to, I think I took a speck. There's no replay. I haven't seen the uh, video replay, but I remember getting on this guy's shoulders and um, and marking the football, but then coming down awkwardly and landing on my back um, and I just remember getting up going oh that, that killed but this is what you know playing senior footy is all about um, anyway went back and uh, and slotted the goal and um, and went on to have had a pretty good day I think I think I had three to half time and then at half time I remember going in at, into the change rooms and and my back had stiffened up even more. It was getting worse and worse. And I went to one of the local the, the trainers and just said, "Oh, can, is there anything you can do for me?" And he he um, subsequently put some DP on my back and, and freed it up, which was I, I think it made it feel good for the time being. And I went out in the second half and and um, was able to kick a few more goals and ended up winning that day and um, kicked six myself. And I still remember thinking, "Oh." We had a party that night back in Yarrawonga and I thought, imagine going back to this party and I've just kicked six goals. I'm 16. I'm just right in the thick of it. This is great. <laughs> I'm going to have a great night. But, um, 
yeah, after that game, I, I went in and we sang the song and everyone was getting around me, but I just deteriorated really quickly. Um, yeah, as I said, my back was really sore and I, I, I just just started to feel really, really ill. And um, and Dad would come over to tap me on the head and say, well done. I think he'd had a few and he was, he'd, uh, he, he's sort of living his old footy life through through my uh through my day that day and, and he was really happy and proud and um but I said oh, I'm not feeling great dad and he goes yeah anyway I end up going and um having a having a week and saw that my urine was uh basically black and looked at one of the older players and who'd had a bit of a medical background and he said mate that's not good that means yeah something's happened with you with your kidney so um, you better go sort that out. So anyway, that day it's, it, it had it highs and lows, and and um, eventually ended up in in Wangaratta Hospital that night. Yeah, yeah, and I think you spent the night there uh, as well. And we'll come back to this obviously because it obviously plays a part many years later um, in the early part of your career at Geelong. But you go to boarding school for VCE Assumption College, famously, and you, you join the Calder Cannons program. Tom, who are the influences at, at this stage of your journey? Oh, no doubt dad was, was probably my biggest influence. Um, we, we spoke a lot about footy. And, and look, I as I said, I, I grew really late in my teens, probably between that 15 and 17 age period. I, I grew 20 centimetres, like you said, and things really happen really quickly, as they do in that point in your life. You go from you know just going to school and, and being a regular Joe to all of a sudden... Um, you're playing under 18 footy and you've got a national carnival and there's a bit of hype about drafts and all these type of things. So I think for me, it was, um, yeah, I, I just trust my family, my friends. There was no one in particular, probably at that stage. Um, some some local coaches from, from around Yarrawonga who really helped and supported me with my development. Um, Robert Hyde was, was really good for me at um, called the Cannons when I spent a few times there and, and uh, Xavier Tanner, Murray Bush Rangers. But, um, yeah, those probably guys were, were the main ones at that point in time. And you play well in that National Carnival too and you end up getting drafted by the Cats. It's pick 23 in the 2002 National Draft. What are your memories of draft day itself? Um, draft day itself, well, I remember we finished, we, we finished school um the friday before the draft or sorry two fridays before the draft and um i remember leading up to it there was a bit of hype around um the the uh, uh cal cal toomey's um they call it the uh, the draft the, the phantom draft, draft phantom draft was it phantom draft or whatever it was and and my name was around that sort of 17 to 25 mark and I just couldn't believe that I was in that picture, like seeing your name in those those phantom drafts, and and um, it sort of it goes, wow, am I re- or, am I really getting talked about like this? And and I remember the day of the draft, um, I went off to I went off to church with my mum actually, and uh, I thought oh, she was big on going and saying a few hail marys and, and doing all that, and um, so off I went to church and. And um, I got back after church. I got back around at 11 o'clock, which was when the draft was starting. And um, back then, as you know, Sam, um, not quite as speedy internet as what it is now. No MBN or anything like that. And <laughs> I, I did the old... Mum and Dad didn't even have internet then, so I had to go next door. 
the neighbour's house who had a dial-up internet connection. And uh, as you know, that can take quite a bit of time when um, quite you know there's, there's quite a amount of people trying to get on to that one website. So basically, from the time I tried logging on, which was around eleven five past eleven, I didn't get on to about. I think it was about 11.30 or 11.35. It took about 25 minutes to come on. And, and by that stage, we were up to pick 19 of the draft. So almost the first round had already been. So I'm, I'm sort of scanning through the players and my phone hadn't gone. So I thought, oh, you know, there's no... There's obviously, I haven't been called out. And um, I got they got the next... I got to pick 21. And, and one of my really good mates who I grew up, with and, and played a lot of football with Bo Nixon, got drafted to Collingwood with pick 21 and I quickly got on the phone to call him and was talking to him um, and uh, and then 22 went and then 23 come around, I was still on the phone to him and um, saw that my name got called out and I said, mate, we might have to catch up for a beer, I've just been just been called out by the cat and uh, yeah, from then on, it was, it was one big party, we went next door and um, Plenty of family, plenty of mates come over, and like most drafted players, it's a big celebration. It's a hard work that's taking place, and uh, yeah, it was a really good day, great day, and uh, had some really fun memories. Fantastic, great memories. Although we don't miss the old dial-up, that's for sure. I hated it when Mum was on the on the, <laughs> on the phone, and I wanted to play Frogger or something uh, on the internet. Uh, you're listening to this is just Sporting Life. Thanks to Tobin Brothers Funerals, a family-owned business since 1934. Next. Well, the life-threatening injury that turned Tom Lonigan's world upside down. You're listening to This Is Your Sporting Life with Sam Edmund for Tobin Brothers Funerals, celebrating lives. Welcome back to This Is Your Sporting Life for Tobin Brothers Funerals, celebrating lives. Hello, great to have your company on This Is Your Sporting Life, made possible by Tobin Brothers Funerals Celebrating Lives. We're with former Geelong defender Tom Lonigan. Well, Tommy, at Geelong, you do your apprenticeship. You play VFL in 2003 and 2004. You play four senior games in 2005. Now, the first of them, it's against North Melbourne. Round nine, Kidinia Park. You kick two goals on debut. What sticks in the mind from your AFL debut? Uh, What sticks in the mind? Probably... Probably the hit I got from Glen Archer to get my first set shot on goal. I remember, <laughs> um, I remember running out. I started on the bench and I ran out to take my position um, in the forward line. And Glen Archer come to me and I've never. I was sweating bullets, literally sweating bullets, because he walked over big barrel chest. And I've been watching him all my career, thinking this is the toughest player I've ever ever seen play. And he comes to me and I'm thinking, I'm no chance of getting a kick, but. Um, there was a contest in the forward half of the ground and I went to pick the ball up and I've just gone, whack, got this, got this uh, fist over the head from a guy by the name of Archer. And, and um, yeah, I remember that quite vividly. Went back and, and kicked the goal and, uh, and the boys got around me. That was a great moment. Fantastic. Just one of many when it comes to Arch too, so I know you wouldn't have taken it personally. <laughs> um, late the following year in Game 7, you experienced really what no one can be prepared for when you back back into a marking contest on a sunny afternoon at Cadinia Park and Brad Miller happens to be coming the other way. I mean, how does it live on with you? Is it something that can't be erased, Tom, or do you do your best to push it into the recesses of your mind or you're, you're at peace with it all now? Yeah, look, it's just part of my story. Um, 
it's it's probably it's probably uh, one of the, the biggest things about my story so far in my life, and that's okay. It's, it's um, the trials and tribulations of someone's life, and and for me that was obviously a you know, harrowing time in my life, and um, you know the the surgery and the unknown of what's going to happen, and um, you know the, being out of contract and losing a kidney and and losing so much blood and, and all those type of things. It was uh, it was certainly a precarious time in, in my life and was, wasn't sure. Probably worse for my parents who mm. were watching it all. And um, it's uh, look, it, it's it made me. It certainly made me have a better perspective on life and, and made me a lot more mentally, you know, stronger in terms of dealing with hardships and whatnot. Um, and I certainly, I've taken a lot out of it. And uh, it's, it's again probably big reason you know the person I am today I think your dad's watching uh your brother Mark play for Yarrawonga on the day but I think you from memory your uncle was in the stands that afternoon and he calls home and I think you're immediately taken to Geelong hospital aren't you where you're initially in a stable condition you're able to speak to your folks and they later say that you're quite shallow in your voice but that night your blood pressure shoots up and you undergo that trauma surgery to remove your right kidney um which was obviously badly lacerated and bruised and and doctors actually say later tom that it was accentuated by the scar tissue from that injury you suffered as a 16 year old yeah yeah and um yeah i'm lucky luckily in a way it was the same kidneys that uh yeah the injury that happened when i was playing that first game with yarrawonga um which was a lacerated kidney and and the same kidney that i did this uh, the injury with here um, yeah, look, it was there was a, quite a number of things. I think obviously there was the kidney wasn't in a good way, but there was um, I think the aorta was also split a little bit, which caused a huge amount, huge amount of blood loss, um, and that was probably the biggest issue of all in the end. Uh, just trying to stop the blood, I was hemorrhaging it. At at uh, you know, it was just kept on coming out, and, and that was um, that was I think one of the most problematic things for, for the doctors and surgeons and, and hence why it was such a long operation. I mean, in the end, it was 11 or 12 hours and, and like you said, mum and dad were, were in Yarrawonga at the time because the night before I'd, I'd told them that I'd, you know, I think I'd just had bruised ribs and was staying in for observation and for them to get that phone call at five in the morning to say you better come down and take a turn to the worst and, and have to endure that. 11 or 12 hours on that Sunday was certainly a yeah, harrowing time for them. Um, luckily for me, um, all reports, I was a fit 22-year-old kid who had you know, um, had a, a good, healthy heart that kept me going. And, and um, I'm just just so uh, so honoured and, and I'm not just, I guess, you've got so much respect and um, thank those doctors who were able to perform under... You know, that pressure and uh, yeah, get me through. Yeah, I mean, you had your entire blood supply um, replaced multiple times. I think it was 40 units of blood was flushed through there. You were in induced coma for four days. And am I right in saying they, at the risk of making people squirmish, uh, squeamish here, they had to keep opening you up and putting the towels in your body to soak up the blood? Yeah, look, uh, and this is what I've been told. I, I just I remember speak, I speak to my friends that come and see me at different times and they said one day I, I, I look like Michelin man. I was so, I just had so much fluid and that was due to the fact that they stuffed, I think, two or three 
bathroom sort of bath towels in me to soak up that blood and then they'd take them out and then put them back in so and then um the risk of infection was was quite that was certainly a factor as well so i had to deal with that and had golden stuff um which, which wasn't the most which was one of the most painful things of it all it's uh it's certainly for a while and um yeah it's just turned on time but again i'm lucky i was a 22 year old sick kid that got through mm. and the town of yarrawonga well there was a lot of uh, prayers um they rallied as well i think you wake up to discover a stack of cards and letters and um phone messages some of them later admit they, they were honest enough to say they didn't think you were going to live i mean all the support must have been overwhelming when you started to come out the other side of it it was it was i, I remember waking up from the induced coma like you said and having all these cards and flowers and banners and lollies and it just it was remarkable the amount of the, the amount of cards I got um, back then obviously text messages 2006 probably weren't um, so prominent back then but yeah the cards I got it just they just kept on coming in and from opposition supporters and um, you know Sam Newman um, he, he obviously faced a similar thing I Spoke to him a couple of times. Mm. It, uh, yeah, it, was, it was it was quite uh, quite remarkable, really, and yeah, great to be able to get that support. Yeah, Sam did reach out. I was going to ask you about the influence that he had with you. He'd lost a kidney, obviously, as well in his playing days, and and he was a a, a good, I guess, support s- structure for you there at that point in time. Yeah, he was, um, and being having the Geelong link as well. Um, the footy show come down came down to interview me. I think a few weeks post surgery, and and um, we hit up a bit of a connection, Sam and I, for for a period of time. And that was great. And every function I, I've since seen him at, he's always asking how am I going. And um, yeah, is is fantastic sport during that time. Oh, that's great. And you're with this is your sporting life, of course. Brought to you by Tobin Brothers Funeral Celebrating Lives. Visit tobinbrothers.com.au after this break. From death's door to a premiership, Tom Lonigan's long road back to the big time. You're listening to This Is Your Sporting Life with Sam Edmund for Tobin Brothers Funerals, celebrating lives. Welcome back to This Is Your Sporting Life for Tobin Brothers Funerals, celebrating lives. Enjoying this week's edition of This Is Your Sporting Life. We're chatting with the much-loved former Geelong stopper, Tom Lonigan. Well, Tom, you returned to Yarrawonga 17 kilograms lighter and frail. I mean, you're essentially an old man at this point, aren't you? Yeah. Yeah, I was. Um, yeah, I was I was in a bad way. Uh, 17 kilos. Well, I went to Geelong, um, I think I was 79 kilos, so I was, I was about that sort of weight, 78, 79. So I lost all that, all that muscle and, and whatnot that I'd put on, uh, it all gone basically. So it wasn't, wasn't a good way. And Geelong agree to delist you, but before we get to what they actually did, the, the path back for you must've seemed enormous at that stage. I mean, you consider retirement for a time before deciding you're going to play on. I mean, how closely or how seriously did you consider, you know, Hanging them up and, and doing something else with your life. Yeah, look, never really um, considered too much, Sam. I I did have a little bit of a little bit of pressure, I'd say, from people within the football club and maybe within the football industry that thought it was in my best interest to 
you know, take up golf or whatever it may be. I, but I was a 22-year-old kid that, um, that really, I, I, my football career hadn't even started. Um, you know, probably lacked a bit of desperation and understanding of the standards that it took to be an AFL consistent player. And um, through those early years and, and then the injury came along and yeah, I had a really big decision to make that it wasn't just my decision. The club, you know, had to be willing to take me back on and, and thankfully they were. Uh, they gave me a one-year contract. But they offered me a one-year contract. And, and for me, it was really simple. I accepted that one-year contract. And, you know, if the worst was to come out of it, I'd, in 12 months' time, I can work every day with a doctor, a physio, a dietitian, strength and conditioning, and I'd have all my teammates there to support me. Mm. Um, and if I was to last one year, at least that, I think that, that year post that recovery, the footy club would be the best spot for me. And, um, yeah, it certainly was. Yeah, so that one-year contract comes after they delist you and then redraft you via the rookie draft. I mean, incredibly, the day after being redrafted by Geelong, you're involved. This is unbelievable. In another potentially life-threatening incident, this time in the form of a serious car accident, I think you were driving to training at the time. What happened? Yeah, yeah it, was, it was literally, I reckon, my um, second or third training session back from the injury and... You know, I just started getting some independence back. I'd you know, been looked after so closely by my parents, and I was actually driving my girl, you know, my girlfriend's mum's car at the time. And um, yeah, I was I was literally from Cadinia Park, and uh, a, another car was coming down Mirable Street and barreled straight into the passenger side, and there was literally it was crumbled. It would have if there was someone there, there's no way they would have survived it. So. Luckily for me, um, I survived it and uh, I was a bit shaken up that uh, I managed to get through and and uh, live another day, as they say. Unbelievable. And you make your return to sport, I suppose, on June 17, 2007. You're playing for Geelong's VFL team against Tasmania. And later that year, the comeback is complete. You kick six goals, if you don't mind, in the grand final win over Coburg. You win the Norm Goss Memorial Medal for Best on Ground. I'm not sure if you're an overly emotional guy, Tom, but that must have been an emotional day. Yeah, it was. It was. I, I think I've, I've probably got more emotional since the actual, um, yeah, the incident or the, what happened on the field. Um, it's just obviously knowing what what uh, what I've gone through and, and the parents have, have been there every step of the way. And, and for them to, to, to be there 12 months post, Basically, it was 12 months to the day, to the day post the accident. Um, and I was out there playing footy and just living and uh, and playing in the grand final and then was able to have some individual success that day. It was it was honestly one of the, one of the best days of, of my life. And um, it was it was incredible, remarkable. I, I don't have any superlatives to really express the emotions of that day, but it, uh, it certainly was a tremendous day and great to... You know, share it with my teammates who who, uh, who lived it with me, and and also my parents and friends who come and supported me on the day. No, it was powerful stuff. And you're added back to the Geelong primary list in 2008. You kicked 36 21 from 16 games as a key forward, including the grand final. Now that wasn't a great day for obvious reasons, but it had something of a comical anecdote because you kicked the game's first goal, which is always a big subject for the punters. And I think you're a 14 dollar chance now. You've always had a great sense of community about you and your former teammates from Yarrawonga have followed every step of your journey. I think they were on a footy trip in Adelaide, were they not? And 
What do you reckon they did when the first goal market popped up? <laughs> um, no, look, it, it, you're exactly right. They were over in Adelaide, and and obviously, most as most local footy clubs do, they have a bit of a kitty throughout the year, and they build it up for their footy trip. And um, I remember talking to a mate a week or so, or uh, no, sorry, the night of the grand final as I was driving back, um, and they were in Adelaide, and he was he was. Uh, having a good day. He was up and about. And I was like, why are you so up and about? We lost because he was a cat supporter too. And he said, mate, we put, <laughs> we put um, the kitty on you for the first goal. I said, what's the kitty? What kitty did you have? He said, two grand. We put you on. We got you at 14 bucks. So <laughs> they won uh, 28 large and we're just uh, living it up over in, uh, over in Adelaide. They were having one of the great days. So unfortunately, it's uh, the fairy tale didn't finish for us uh, that day, but it certainly was a great experience, and obviously kicking the first goal was was a great feeling. I was keen to ask you at what point in your career, I'm not sure if it was just after this, the following season, but how did it come to pass that you went from Tom Lonigan the forward to Tom Lonigan the defender? Well, I, the game I got injured in, I was playing as a defender, and probably my breakout game. Um, it was probably one of the best games I've played in. Um, and then Nathan Ablett happened to retire after the 07 grand final, which is when you know, I kicked a few goals in the grand final. So I think with Tommy Hawkins coming on, he was only in his first year, in, um, in or the second year in 2008, they put me forward as well, just as a bit of a backup. And, and they put Tommy uh, into the team for the first half of that 2008 series. And then he started to get a bit tired. So I, I played the rest of the year in, in, as a full forward in 2008. And, um, but I think deep down, I always wanted to go back. It was just a really hard defensive group to break into. Mm. And um, so during, that, during the early part of 2009, I, I was in and out of form as a forward. And when I went back to the reserves, I said, look, can I play as a defender? And started to play some really, really good games as a, as a defender. And, um, and then... Yeah, I had to buy my time, and, and Tom Harley retired in, in 2009, and, and then the doors opened for me. So just had to wait. It was a bit of a waiting game. Such a great club and great teammates. Yeah, hard to find a spot always. Yeah, indeed. And your next grand final opportunity, thankfully for you, you didn't have to wait too long. It came in 2011. Now, in this game, James Podsiadley stretched it off halfway through the second quarter. Collingwood had just kicked a goal. I think they lead the Cats by three goals. So Travis Cloak at this stage is threatening to blow the game apart. He kicked three goals before the seven-minute mark of the second quarter, and Harry Taylor's having a rare, rough afternoon. You're moved on to him. What are your memories of this point in, in the game? Well, yeah, I remember starting on Chris Dawes and um, yeah, put, a, put a lot of work into him through the week uh, in terms of his strengths and what I needed to do. So obviously you, you prepare as well for other fours, and, and Travis was there. I played on two. Um but then he hit, as you said, he hit that rich vein of form in that first half and kicking to un- unbelievable goals. So I knew probably at some point it was going to come where Harry and I might swap, which we'd done previously throughout the year, plenty of times when we just needed a breather. And um, as midway through that second quarter, like you said, pods had just gone down. It was probably just a good chance for him to have a breather. And, and I'd, I, again, I'd never been... I mentioned before I was so sweating bullets playing Glen Archer well 
this is a guy, biggest stage of all, grand final, just kicked three goals. Um, it, uh, it was nervous times for a, for a defender, and especially, I, want, I just wanted it so bad. I just wanted to be a part of a premiership team, uh, but I knew I had to do a job for the team. And, and um, so I went on to him in, the second, in that second quarter, and I just wanted to get to uh, half-time with him keeping relatively quiet or maybe not having having kicked a goal. And, and luckily for me, I was able to do that. Yeah, I mean, he kept putting himself in dangerous positions. You were with him every step of the way. He doesn't kick another goal for the game. I mean, that must have been individually in a team sport so enormously satisfying for you. And then when the siren goes, I mean, to climb the mountain after everything you had experienced up until that point, what did it mean to you? Oh, look, it was, it was a huge relief. Um, it was huge relief because just the ups and downs and the emotions and the hospital and, you know, even even the fact in, in 2008 I played in the grand final, but then a year later the Cats won in 2009, I was sitting in the stand, so seeing my teammates celebrate that. And then, you know, in 2010 we got smashed out of the prelim final by the Pies, so thinking maybe potentially the chance had gone. But to finally uh, be a part of a team that, you know, there on the last day, uh, in September and, and, uh, and win against Collingwood was just, it was just truly it was glorious. It was, it was just a great experience. And as, as I said, amazing relief of emotion, the, the emotions that sort of come over me when I saw him went where I can still sort of, uh, feel them to this day. It's a, it was a, it was a fantastic time and, and great again to share it with teammates and family and, uh, and knowing that I'd sort of climb the mountain, I guess. We're talking to Tom Loningen on This Is Your Sporting Life. Thanks to Tobin Brothers Funerals Celebrating Lives. We'll be back shortly with Tom, whose speed, discipline and courage saw him muzzle the most dangerous key forwards in the competition. You're listening to This Is Your Sporting Life with Sam Edmund for Tobin Brothers Funerals Celebrating Lives. Welcome back to This Is Your Sporting Life for Tobin Brothers Funerals Celebrating Lives. Great to have your company here on This Is Your Sporting Life. Thanks to Tobin Brothers Funerals, a family-owned business since 1934. Former Geelong defender Tom Lonigan has been our guest today. Well, Tom, Mark Thompson calls it one of the highlights of his coaching career at Geelong that you not only made it back to playing, but then seeing your emergence as a regular, dependable defender thereafter. How did Bomber Thompson shape your career? Uh, it, it was a huge part of my career. You know, those early years. I had him for eight years um, at Geelong before he left and he was a perfect coach for me at that time because I needed that discipline and, and structure and sort of that you know, mentor to really push me and um, prod me along the way and I'm glad he did see something in me. Um, he, he said it all along, I'll see something in you but he, <laughs> he, he knew he needed to prod me a fair bit along the way and I wish he didn't have to do that, but I'm, I'm glad he did. And, and um, you know, he, he was a, a massive uh, part of my development. Same with Brendan McCartney, who uh, I spent a lot of time with as well. They they smashed me around a fair bit and, and made me really work for my opportunity to play for this footy club. And I think that's what that's what set me up to, you know, each game that I did play from, from then on, I, I really respected the game and appreciated the opportunity I was given. And, uh, I, you know, I've got no one more to thank than Bomber Thompson for that. And Chris Scott took over, obviously, in 2011. He had instant success. He was your premiership coach on the day against Collingwood. 
How how were they different though, Tom? Yeah, look, as I said, Bomber was fantastic for me because he was so one on one and spent a lot of time with his players and and really helped them develop. Um, you asked most of the you know players that he brought through in that era. Um, he really he really uh, tested them and and um, and made sure that they were getting the most out of themselves. Um, and with Chris, I guess. And Chris come on board, he, he gave you a lot more empowerment to play your role and do your job really well. And that's what I think I really appreciated throughout the back end of my career. I didn't have that, I guess, micro-management type of coach that um, was on me for all different things. He allowed me to just play to my strengths. And, and um, I think that, that helped me you know, be a, a really consistent AFL player. As you say, 2011, the Premiership was a relief for you after everything you'd gone through. But then you find yourself playing finals in five of your last six seasons and you make the preliminary final in three of those campaigns. You, you were blessed. But are there some lingering what-ifs with those games, particularly the three prelim losses to Hawthorne, Sydney and Adelaide? Players are greedy. Yeah, they are. They are. And look, it, um, it, it, takes, it takes so much will uh, and effort and concentration and determination, sacrifice to play finals every year. And, um, you know, we were a great football club who had high expectations and we knew we had the talent. Um, but unfortunately for us, we'll probably let a few opportunities go, um, a few opportunities at those, those times, pressure times throughout those finals where we probably just let the momentum of the opposition get on top of us too much. And, yeah, I'll probably look back to um, Hawthorne 2013, I think it was. I think we were up by 21 points prelim. That was one where we probably felt that we played well enough for a period of time where we should have given ourselves to get back a chance to get back in the grand final. And, and then the last three of my career, um, Sydney, uh Sydney, Sydney and Adelaide were very similar in a way. We got blown out of the park um, very early in that game and um, the game was basically over. So little things like that, you look back and go, we'd worked so hard to get that position and just let ourselves, let our guard down for a quarter or so and that was basically the game. It's pretty disappointing. Probably wish we could have got back to one grand final at least, but, um, you know, that's footy. Mm. I want to take you to the 2014 uh, trade period. Now, at this point, you've got one more year to run on your Geelong contract. You, you signed up there until the end of 2015, but the Western Bulldogs come knocking with a three-year contract offer and a pretty lucrative one at that. How close were you to getting up to the Witten Oval? Yeah, I was, I was very, very close. Uh, I'd, I'd had dinner with... Brendan McCartney and Jason McCartney out at uh, Brendan's house in Bowen Heads on the Wednesday night. I took my, my wife out and um, basically left that meeting thinking that, yeah, that's that's it, I'm a bulldog. Um, subsequently, the next two days were probably some of the biggest in, in trade history. Um, Ryan Griffin said the next day on that Thursday that he wanted out. And then the following day, which is the Friday, Brendan... Brendan was fired, so that left me in a position where, you know, Brendan was probably the one I knew the most, um, obviously through through our time at uh, Geelong, and he had been gone, and I just felt Geelong were Geelong's list was in a better position than and the dogs at the time, and and decided to stay, which I'm 
really comfortable with that decision. I, I love the, the fact that I'm a one-club player. But, um, yeah, those, it was a, certainly a explosive trade period and plenty going on. So if Macker had stayed as coach, let's say hypothetically, you, you believe he would have got there? Yeah, I probably would have. Yeah, look, it was it was a, a big lure um, to go, and and uh, I really was happy with the presentation. And, and being a thirty year old, I had to look at the financial side of things as well. And and for me, probably um, probably not starting to to earn the money that probably other players had, had made throughout their careers. I didn't start earning probably half their money until the middle to late stages of my career. I felt it was a good opportunity to maybe help out there and um but in the end things happen and um i'm really com- as i said really comfortable with the fact that i stayed at geelong and and had some success yeah uh the challenge of playing on on the big forwards as you did for so much of your career the thrill of the chase who did you enjoy playing on who did i enjoy well I'll start with who i didn't really enjoy <laughs> um <laughs> jonathan brown was probably the guy that gave me gave me the most sleepless nights moving into a into a game. He was just so strong and he was just he was just a bull, um, an unbelievable player that his mental strength was we all know, his courage. But he just he just worked himself. He was hundred and five kilos and I remember playing on him. I played on him um the week after Geelong Geelong played St Kilda that amazing home and away game back in uh two thousand and nine. Oh, yep. And uh I think there was I don't know how many changes. There's there's probably close to 16 changes to the Geelong side for the next week's game. And I played on that night in Brisbane, up in Brisbane, and we had a really weak side that night. And I've never, never been so sore and so buggered after a game. Like he just ran me into the ground, and uh, and that's when I really knew that, that the level I needed to get to if I was going to match it with the with the big forward. So he was probably. The hardest player I've, I've ever played on. Um, I, I love playing on Buddy um, because probably probably just because of the rivalry that Geelong and Hawthorne had had, and and especially since from that 2008 Grand Final and of Jeff, uh, Jeff Kennett's remarks about the, the Kennett curse and and the build up to Easter Monday and, and then the final. It was just such a great rivalry. There's so many. Battles within the battle itself. Harry played on on Ruffy and um, you know Mitchell and Salwood in the middle or Jimmy. There's so many different matchups and uh, they're the games that you really, as a player, you love playing in and and obviously playing on the best player in the game and and playing a part in, in stopping him or negating him and and getting a win for Geelong was was critical. So I, I really love those that period of time I was able to play on him. Buddy didn't mind a sledge, though, either, did he? Uh, early, he didn't. I think as more times we probably played on one another, I think, we, we're, I guess, we respected each other's games and, and the fact that we'd, we'd battled so long and hard against one another. Um, the first time I played on him, he, he um, I think I got moved from the forward to back at some point during the game and he'd just come off it was early in the 2009 season maybe and I think he just or 10 season he just kicked 100 the year before and he basically said ask me for my name what my name was and uh, <laughs> that was 
few players heard that and had a bit of a giggle, and <laughs> and I, I I tipped the hat to him. I said, "No, nah, that's fair call." Um, but I, I I guess deep down, I knew that uh, I wanted to beat him, and I, I felt that I had the attributes to match him in in um, my height and pace and whatnot. And uh, I think by the end of that day, he knew who I was. Yeah, indeed. And he knows who you are now because your record against him, 22 goals in 13 meetings, stacks up very, very well. I wanted to ask you who your most talented teammate was. I'm not sure if you're going to gravitate to a member of um, your brethren there, the back six, or you build a great synergy with that was such a big part of Geelong's success. But who stands out as being the, the most talented teammate, the, the guy that perhaps did things behind closed doors as well that the general public couldn't witness? Um. Oh, we had a number of number of uh, unbelievably talented players, uh, and the easiest ones would be to say Gary Ablett and uh, and and Stevie J, who, who we know their talents are unbelievable. But I think um, a guy that probably goes um, under the radar a bit is Paul Chapman. He's super talented, and and um, you know he just he, the way he kicked the football and and he's his ability to win one-on-ones. And he was just an unbelievable player. And I loved playing with Chappie because you knew what you were going to get from him week in, week, week out. And, uh, yeah, his, his skills, skill level is extremely high. And uh, he's a player, I think, that goes under, tends to go under the radar when you're throwing the likes of Bartel and Ablett and Johnson, those types. And just on Chappie, um, Tom, wasn't it after the, the grand final of 2008, he was the architect of the, the Kennet Curse Pact, if you like. Do you remember that conversation taking place for the first time? Um, I remember, I think he might have said it in a, after the media. Uh, he, he did a media um, interview and and might have just said we made, we've made a pact. Um, I can't remember if we ever did make a pact, but <laughs> certainly... We uh, we owned it from then on. We said, "Oh well, we've made a pack. You put it out there. We've got to run with it now." And um, <laughs> and that was it. It was probably the best thing that could have happened to us because we just needed to uh, release the shackles and put it out there that we didn't want to lose to Hawthorne again. And that because the media built that up a bit, we had to sort of, I guess, follow through on our word and and um, we were able to do it for eleven or twelve games. So that was good. Tom Longan, it's been great to chat. I mean, it's been a journey in every sense of the word, and an incredible one at that. You're fondly remembered by Cats fans, but also widely respected by supporters of all persuasions. And the fact, as I said, that you're able to overcome a life-changing hurdle so early in your career and end up with the resume you did was simply amazing. The game's been much better for having you. Thanks for joining us today. Uh, thanks for having me, Sam. And, uh, yeah, good luck for the rest of the year. And thank you for joining us also. You've been listening to This Is Your Sporting Life for Tobin Brothers Funerals Celebrating Lives. Jump online to find tobinbrothers.com.au. We'll catch you next week to celebrate the life of another sporting icon. It's Ty Power's Big Footy final sale. To kick things off, you can get the power to buy three and get one free on selected Toyo passenger car and SUV tyres. Ty Power's Big Footy final sale can't last. Visit typower.com.au now.